Hi friends, welcome back. This is Mike Prita and you're listening to the Limited Upside Podcast. And we've got a really fun two-part NBA playoff preview with our buddy Mo Dakiel, uh, former video coordinator for the Spurs and Clippers. Uh, he has his own site, thejumpball.net. We're going to take a look at these series and what would he be looking for if he was working for these teams. Uh, this is how we're going to preview them. We're going to do the East in this podcast. We'll do the West in the next one. Before you do anything, though, please rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. We've been getting some great reviews, and we really appreciate them. Uh, also, listen to the Drive and Kick podcast, Paul Flannery's podcast for SB Nation, and subscribe to that. And send us questions. We will continue to be doing this throughout the playoffs. So anything you see in a game, let me know. Hit us up on Twitter, at limited underscore upside. Email me, MikePreda, at SBNation.com. Until then, sit back and enjoy. This is the Eastern Conference Playoff Preview on the Limited Upside Podcast. back to another episode of the limited upside podcast the playoffs are finally upon us so mike and i are going to welcome mo dacchio back onto the podcast mo is a uh, a former video coordinator in the nba and so we wanted to kind of tap into his expertise here uh get inside his brain and what he would be looking at if he was preparing his head coach for an nba playoff series so we got some great insight uh, some great questions here that Mo has kind of helped us outline this podcast with. And I think Mike and I are excited to uh, to tap into Mo's expertise here. I am and then super hopefully excited. give Yeah, hopefully give our, our listeners um, you know, a decent outline of what to look for uh, for the upcoming playoffs here. Mo, thanks again for joining us, man. No, fellas, thank you for having me. I've been so excited. I really enjoyed the first time around, and I've been just waiting for the playoffs to uh, to jump on your pod again. How happy are you that you don't have to be doing this yourself <laughs> the, for the, the, um, these questions? Like the, the nice thing I liked about the questions you sent us is that these are the sorts of things that if you were still working in the league, you would be thinking about. And how nice is it that you don't have to now prepare for uh, the Phoenix Suns or the <laughs> San Antonio Spurs or whoever you were preparing for while you were with the Clippers and the Spurs? It is great. I feel bad for all the video coordinators out there. I know what those guys are going through. They're working their butts off. They're they're giving it everything they got. It's that time of year. They're they're putting redlining it. They're going sleepless. They're doing everything they can. Co- demanding coaches, asking for something crazy. And I am happy to not be a part of this at all in that regard. <laughs> you're, you're in a much more official capacity now. You are a guest on the limited upside, which ultimately, you know, I don't know how many or I should say I don't know how many of the NBA coaches don't listen uh, to this podcast. So <laughs> We don't uh, know that they don't listen. <laughs> yeah, we can neither confirm nor deny the uh, viewership or listenership of the uh, 30 NBA head coaches who none of which were fired this year. So I know that's Amazing. one of the one of the amazing stats from this current NBA season was uh, you can hear my dog scratching her neck right now. And there it is. Okay, cool. There are some uh, yes. GMs that got fired, though. Yeah, there were some GMs, including uh, Orlando waiting uh, negative 17 seconds to fire Hannigan. Do you right. think that they announced his firing by writing his name on a whiteboard and then crossing it out? <laughs> oh, had a little X next to it. <laughs> <laughs> Just in parentheses, firing myself. It's like, does this, like, does this the change the whiteboard now? Like, I, I was so excited to see if anything <laughs> happened off the whiteboard going like, oh, it was true. Yeah, that was, exactly. Exactly. See how that one played out. And and the answer was no, we weren't going to trade Dario Saric uh, for uh, for Gordon. <laughs> any of that garbage. Should. But anyhow, um, I mean, Mikey had Orlando making the playoffs this year. But we're not going to revisit that. We're not <laughs> going to revisit that because this is a playoff podcast, not a lottery podcast. That'll be in a few weeks. And I'm sure we'll have like some Lakers and Sixers uh, and Orlando representatives <laughs> on there. But for now, let's dive right in. We'll start with the Eastern Conference. We'll start with Mo's first uh, Eastern Conference playoff question here, and then we'll kind of go uh, uh, from there. So first question Mo sent us. Mike, you take the first stab, and then Mo uh, – actually, Mo, tell us why you think this is an interesting question, and then, Mike, you give us that first answer. So the question was, what does Boston do if Isaiah Thomas struggles? That's the poignant question for this 1-8 series with the Chicago Bulls. Mo, why did that question come to mind for you? Yeah, you know, when I watched this – the Celtics, and I've watched a ton of them this year, almost more than most teams. And and I get worried with what happens when Isaiah is not on the court. And you, you always look at the lineup and you're like, who's going to score out of that lineup? You know, Avery Bradley's been 
a solid shooter, although he's kind of struggled a bit after the All-Star break. Marcus Smart's not really a scorer. You know, Jay Crowder is going to have a game here and there, but he's not going to be a guy consistently dropping, you know, points and, and on, on the other team's heads. And it's just the more I look at it, I'm just like, that's a problem. And that's why, you know, you, you need that second guy sometimes. And that was my concern was I don't think they have a second guy that can really carry the team when IT struggles. And that's a team where you look at it and they're, they're easier to defend because it's like if we find a way to take Isaiah Thomas out or if we do one of those, we're going to let him get his, but we're going to close everybody else off. Like, I don't know if they can they can beat anybody. I think I think that's the real big challenge for them. It's a huge problem. So numbers wise, they're 113.6 when Isaiah's in the game on offense. They dropped to 99 when he's out of the game. Wow. That's a massive drop. And by the way, one reason why I'm not saying that Isaiah Thomas should be in the MVP discussion, but that would be the argument to put him in there, yeah, would it not? That's a strong one. Yeah. Now, of course, their defense gets a lot better with him in. Uh, so no, it's a, it's a huge problem. And I, I guess the one the one thing I'm kind of curious about if for Mo is that like is this the sort of problem that in the regular season you can mask, but in the playoffs it's much harder to. I mean, that would be the conventional wisdom. Is that accurate? You think? Absolutely. I I, I think what fans have to understand about playoff basketball is it's completely different than the regular season. It's different in NBA playoff basketball is different than almost any other sports. I'd say, except for hockey, you know, baseball, it's another series. That's all it is for them. They play series mm-hmm. all year long. The NFL, it's just one game. This is a time when teams get to lock in and, and kind of how we talked about how video coordinators are freaking out right now and, <laughs> breaking down film and they, they probably didn't even sleep last night and getting all of this stuff ready. It's so that you can lock in on specific tendencies a team does and you can game plan for it. So on a night to night basis, it's tough to say we're going to game plan for Isaiah Thomas because you don't want to change your whole philosophy defensively. You don't want to switch a lot of things up because you're going to use it just for one night. And the next night you're going to be playing, you know, the San Antonio Spurs, which is more team-like, and and, and the ball is going to fly around. So it's tough to kind of mix it up. So I think in the playoffs, you're able to zero in and lock in on what each team does. Like, what's the best thing this team does? Can we take it away? How can we take it away? You know, or or can we live with this? You know, is this a problem we can live with? Mm-hmm. Right, right. So there, there are two issues with Isaiah. Uh, one is, like, can they survive with him off the floor, which I think – is one issue. And then the other is what you talked about is that even when he's on the floor, is there something about the nature of the preparation that you can say, we know what this guy can do. We'll take it away. Now in Isaiah's case, let's talk the second one first. Cause I think that's more interesting mm-hmm. uh, with Chicago specifically with that. They have Jimmy Butler. What the Celtics do so well is that Isaiah will give, give the ball up and get it back. He'll run off all these screens. They run this great motion and he's so fast. He just runs away from whoever's guarding him. Does Chicago have anyone that can deal with that? I'm not sure they do. I'm not sure I, you can ask Jimmy Butler to do that for a long period of time. I think it's interesting. I think we're going to see, first off, Chicago is like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of team to me. Yeah. I, I don't, I mean, you never know what you're going to get. And at one point I, I, I was adamant about not wanting them in the playoffs because I was so annoyed with them. I'm still adamant about that. <laughs> oh, I, I, <laughs> I I'm, very much would have preferred Miami. No question. Yeah. And Miami, I think, would have been an interesting foil for a <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, the other thing, too, I look at with, with uh, Chicago is it's not just Jimmy Butler. You know, you, you can put Rondo on him at a time and, and get him struck, get him going. And, and you can put Wade out there. And, and Wade's a bit slower, but it might not work so well. But you're going to be in a positions where you can switch a little more when he's coming off screens. The key for Chicago would be – you know, when he gives up the ball, you know, just you got to deny the hell out of that. You got to do everything you can to make sure he doesn't get it back. And of course, it's easier said than done. Way easier but, said than done. Uh, absolutely. Because Boston's going to set screens. Horford's a big dude. He's going to set some screens. You know, Jalen Brown's a solid screen setter. Yeah. Crowder, all these guys. But you got to see if there are opportunities where you can switch guys onto him. So, you know, he, Butler might not start out on him. You know, if I'm Chicago, I might want to put, Rondo on him for a while and, and and save save Butler for maybe a fourth quarter kind of thing. And it's another thing, too, where you just want to throw different looks at him and different guys at him. You know, Rondo's, you know, a little smaller and, and quicker but lanky. You know, 
Butler is stronger and, and can kind of, you know, over try to overpower Isaiah. You, you, you just throw all these different mixes at him and kind of almost disrupt his senses. It's kind of like a uh, NFL quarterback where, you know, you don't blitz on every down. You mix these things in and you blitz from different positions and things like that. So mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a, the the answer Chicago's got to try to come up with in terms of, you know, screwing up Isaiah's rhythm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. There's um, a lot of parallels been made this year about Isaiah Thomas and Allen Iverson, but that was one of the ways that teams would try to defend Iverson was to throw a small, quicker guy at him and then a larger guy to put some length in front of his face to contest shots. You know, basically, depending on if you wanted to funnel him towards the basket or make him settle for jump shots, the thing with Isaiah is that he is a significantly more consistent outside shooter than AI. Um, so it's it's kind of a mixed bag. Um I want to ask both of you for the secondary matchup that interests you. We just talked about Isaiah. Rondo was mentioned. Jimmy Butler's defensive prowess. Is there a secondary matchup, a head-to-head matchup in this series? And, Mike, you can go first. That really interests you or you think will be uh, pivotal for the outcome? I don't know if it's a matchup, but I think the reason I'm, like, not that high on Chicago's chances in this series is some people Mm -hmm. is that Boston (laughs) spreads the floor so well. I mean, they're they're not shooting well right now, so their shooting has been bad, but they make you guard way out, and – I just don't know if Chicago has the personnel to defend that. And I guess the big question is, the big matchup and the big key in the series is that can Chicago grab enough offensive rebounds where that they can control the pace of the game and make it hard, muck it up a little bit? And, you know, I personally think the answer is no because I just think it's going to be too hard. Like, they haven't been that great since they lost Taj Gibson on the offensive glass. They're playing more small lineups. Like, But if you're looking for, like, kind of a matchup, you know, issue like mm-hmm. what happens how do they guard Al Horford on the perimeter like they can't possibly play Robin Lopez this whole time right. can they I mean like yeah. what are they going to do there and how are they going to prevent him from just controlling the game from the perimeter yeah, yeah. I, go ahead Mo. no I mean you're definitely right on that that's a definite challenge there for Chicago in terms of what do they do with those perimeter guys and and who does guard Horford another matchup which is kind of almost more interesting just because we've seen how Crowder reacts when Boston has been looking at other wing players. Let's not forget that <laughs> come trade deadline, you know, Jimmy Butler very easily could have been a Boston Celtic. Not easily, but there was definitely rumors about that and and, and, and talk about it. So I'm kind of interested in seeing Crowder and Butler sort of go at each other a bit. Mm. Well, and the best be part about this, well, the best part is that the Celtics could very well win the draft lottery come the 16th or 17th, whatever that, <laughs> that is, and then be right in the middle of a, uh, a hotly contested Eastern Conference final, I guess, at that point, uh, and with no understanding if they're going to keep their best player or not in the offseason, which oh, is just Oh, that's a good point. Wouldn't it be fascinating if, like, what would Isaiah do if they won the lottery? Hmm, that's actually I, very interesting. How would like, he respond? I, I mean, we're, we're, you, putting, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but that is we are, very we are, interesting. Yeah. We are, which, which is, by the way, like, I know a number of Celtics fans, so do you, Mike, and they're more torn on that. The loyalty towards right. Isaiah, despite what he's done for them this season and last season, uh, the way that he's brought the Garden back uh, right now, it's interesting to hear how many people are split on what to do with him, signing him long-term or moving on to the next thing, the, the faults or the, the ball in the draft. But, um, it's a hard decision. Uh, let, yeah, it is hard. It is hard. And honestly, it's it's all been leading up to this because Danny Ainge's inactivity, but, you know, was strategic in a way, but it does make you get to a decision making point. And that, that seems to be where we're at now. Um, let's sum this up. We, I want to hit every single one of the first round series. So what I'd like is to get a prediction by both of you for this series so we can move on to the next one. So, uh, Mo, go ahead. Where do you see this ending? So it's hard. Like I I can see this either being a Boston sweep or Chicago pushing it to seven. I I. I'm going to just kind of hedge a little bit and, and say it's a six-game series. Boston wins it. I think they're even though they're not rebounding all that well since they lost Taj Gibson, I still think the Boston's rebounding problems are still persistent and they're real. And I think they just find a way to slow down Isaiah for at least two games. And, you know, when you have Rondo, Butler, and Wade, and we saw what Wade did last year in the playoffs, which we can't really forget, I, I'm not sure if uh, – you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see them go off. Mike? No, I don't think this is going to be much of a challenge for Boston. I don't see how Chicago can run around with Isaiah Thomas. You know, Jimmy Butler can't do it all the time. I don't trust Rondo to do it. I don't really trust anyone else on the team to do it. That does not feel like a team that would have, like, some sort of coordinated, like, let's really kind of stick to the plan type of to it. And 
I think the Celtics have enough people to throw Jimmy Butler to render him a little less effective. I'm going to say Celtics in five, a gentleman's sweep. Yeah, I have Celtics in five also. I think it's it's also interesting. The coaching matchup here would, would decidedly favor the team who also has the better players. Usually that leads to a, a more swift series. Um, right. Okay, let's move on to, to the two versus seven in the Eastern Conference. That's Cleveland versus Indiana. Uh, let's see. Cleveland won the regular season series 3-1, but they just played a game on April 2nd that was one of the 10 best games of this NBA season. It was a really good game. Um, and there is something to be said for this series because you do have two team, you know, you a team USA superstars who play the same position who realistically will be going head to head for large periods of time here. Let's get to Mo's question because uh, I know that that is how we're going to be leading into this. And that question, Mike, why don't you answer this first, and then, Mo, you tell me why this was so poignant to, uh, for you. That is, uh, can the Cavs' defense get it going despite having such few actual defensive players? Mike, I know you've been talking about this for a while with me, and, and you were actually concerned when we did our Cavs podcast a few weeks back about this very topic. Has anything changed, or are you even more concerned now? Well, I'm, I'm concerned. I, I think I'm not sure Indiana is necessarily the team to exploit this problem Mm -hmm. you know maybe a little bit though uh just because i mean at the end of the day like i think the Cavs are going to try harder in the playoffs and that will account for something you know there is something to be said for motivation for sort of the doldrums of the season and it was a little weird how they just conceded the one seed the way they did i don't know if that was the plan i don't know if it's going to pay off later they should try harder um but they (laughs) What's going to be interesting is that there are a lot of weak links there, and who can take advantage? Indiana, I will say this about Indiana. like I feel like I felt this way last year about them. I feel this way again a little bit this year. They played very well down the stretch since they got Lance Stevenson. Team's kind of a mess, but they're also a team that if they play together like they have, uh, if they can play their bench less because their starting five is pretty good. Yep. sort of what happens when they go to the bench. And if Paul George can continue to shoot the way he has at the end of the season, you know he's going to be motivated for it. That's a team that I think will play better in the playoffs than they do in the regular season. What do you think, Mo? Yeah, I mean, they're they're definitely an interesting team. I I think you're right on when you say they, they might not have the weapons to really go up against the Cavs and, and, and really stress them defensively. But this might be a good series for the Cavs to really kind of like almost a, a, a warm-up playoff series for them, you know, which sounds kind of silly or, or risky. But <laughs> the the idea of, you know, it's it's really just Paul George and friends to me when I look at Indiana. You know, Teague's pretty good. Monty Ellis is Monty Ellis. You know, He's got Miles an problem too. Yeah, and 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 that's a, <laughs> always problems in the playoffs is is you know somebody's going to be nicked up. Mm-hmm. You know, Miles Turner is another great player, and 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 he's good in the sense of like he can stretch the floor a bit, and 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 that might be a, the piece that really kind of challenges the Cavs. But at the same time, I just don't see how you know I, I, I the way I look at it is Cleveland's really got to clean up their defense, and this is the series for them to do it. Their pick and roll defense has been really terrible. There's no help on the weak side. Nobody's coming in and, and from the weak side and kind of tagging the roller, or at least just putting a hand on him. Guys are just rolling straight down the lane, and it's it's just been relatively sloppy. And it's you know like the question says, and and you know I've been listening and pray that you've been all over it. They don't really have defensive guys like the guys that they're they're missing from last year. And I know everybody kills me when I say it, but they do miss Delhi to a degree. Oh yeah, they definitely miss Delhi. Yeah, he comes in and 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 defensively he just chases dudes. I mean, he's he's just a hard nose, just I will literally put my nose in your chest and it's going to stay in your chest. You'll yep. cross me up and you'll do whatever, but I'm coming from behind and and going to try to make a play or get get in there and, and clean it up and things like that. He, he's you know, he's uh, he's an expert disruptor. I mean, just from yeah. the simple sense that from multiple NBA finals, guys like us were talking about him. And not the other well, seven all-world players finals. on the court. Well, one NBA finals. <laughs> one NBA true. finals didn't really play much yeah, last year. That's yeah. true. But but okay. The point being though that you know he's always found his role in the series, and whether that's to add you know defensive protection or to muck it up and make teams think twice about what they're doing on the court, which is to say like if I touch this guy, he could flop, and that could be the technical foul that ends up disrupting that entire you know flow of that game, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, it is an interesting point there. Sorry, so, Mo, go ahead. I, I totally don't... agree, by the way, with Mo about uh, how this if the if the cast problem is motivation, like this series will definitely wake him up with Paul George yeah. and Lance Stevenson. 
Yeah. And we also get to see Ty Lu's secret plan. <laughs> yeah, yes. there's that. Yes. Uh, so who guard, who's going to guard Paul George? Are they going to make LeBron do it the whole series? I don't think they can. I think this is one of those things, and I think it's something that teams in, in the playoffs in general, you try to save your guys as much as you can. And I think you you put LeBron in sparingly. You know, I think he'll, he'll start out on him just because I don't think they have anybody that could guard him to start. But you'll see a combination of, you know, uh, Iman Shumpert. You'll see a com- uh, you know Richard Jefferson yep. on him at times, and you know Jr. and and again, it's just kind of a more than one guy just trying to to keep hassling him. And and I think if if he gets going, then it might be a situation where they're like, all right, big fella, you got him. Yeah. It feels like it's like a bring in the closer type thing. If you do need LeBron to guard him, you do extend him physically to play that defense. But even of the guys you just named, like Jefferson, Shumpert, and Smith are all capable defensive players when they do what Mike had alluded to in the beginning of this, which is play hard. And this malaise that Cleveland fell under for the last couple weeks of the season, not only was it frustrating to watch, and it brought up these conversations of like, you know, is Cleveland going to be the same team to make a run this year that they have been for the last, whatever, five, six seasons, or LeBron has been, I should say, um, and then Cleveland has been for the last few seasons. But the point is like, they made people ask questions that they didn't necessarily have to be asked this season. Cleveland was rolling at one point this year. You know, they did have that the the Christmas Day game where they looked like a team who could win a seven game series in the finals against Golden State. They, we know what they can be, but they did something interesting here, and I know the league rules are going to change uh, consequently, which is they added so many veterans, uh, you know, on the waiver, if you will, uh, or whatever you call that. Um, it, you know, and they, the complexion of the team got older, less athletic, and far less defensive-minded in the last two months. Um, not even dating back four months or in the beginning of this season or last off-season. And I think you're seeing LeBron kind of have to, to couple with the fact that he just can't ask for more out of some of these guys. They don't have it. And so that's where you'll see the, the next iteration of what LeBron wants to put into this playoff run and and uh, candidly i have full confidence that he'll figure it out instill the right confidence in the right guys and get the maximum results from jefferson fry you know if corver when he plays etc to get what he wants i just think it's going to be more from him um and that might not happen in this indiana series but i'm excited to see where this goes uh mo give me your prediction for this series then mike i'm gonna go cleveland in five i just don't think indiana has the firepower i don't think I think Kyrie Irving's a, a tough matchup for them. I don't think they have anybody that can really guard him defensively. LeBron's LeBron. He's, you know, if not the best, one of the best in the world. I think Kevin Love's in a, in a decent stride and, and can spread the floor and shooting. I, I just don't think Indiana really can stay with him. I think this might be a little tricky for them. I, I wonder if this uh, – I know Indiana is like a crappy road team, so maybe this is a silly idea. But, like, if this gets to 1-1 – you know, and the Cavs don't quite wake up in time. Then they have a series. I think that's sort of going to be really interesting. That game two will determine a lot. I'm going to say that this goes six. I mean, the Pacers aren't going to be able to stop the Cavs. I don't think, I don't trust Miles Turner to kind of dictate the right sort of pick and roll coverages to be mm-hmm. able to contain those guys. But right. I'm going to say six. I think Paul George has a big game. You know, I've just seen Paul George go off in too many playoffs for me to think that that dude doesn't give his team a chance to win. He's a great player. He's a great great playoff player, I think. You know, that's a guy that he he gets his shots whenever he wants. So that's why he's a great playoff player, I would say. Yeah, Yeah, he can get his own shot. But I also think it's similar to Jimmy Butler, and we spoke about this in the last series, but, like, these guys might not be on this team next year. This is a heck of a showcase game, heck of a showcase series for a guy like Paul George who wants to say, like, hey, Los Angeles – I can help you guys be a Western Conference contender next season. Like, maybe it's not next season for the Lakers. I mean, it could does be he like, have to prove that to anyone, though? Yeah. I mean, we kind of know. Well, like, I mean, you know who he is, but what better place to show, like, this is who I am than against Le- against the standard bearer, you know, for the position, for the league, and for making it to the finals. Um, so I do think there's something to be said for, I don't know, the optics of playing against LeBron head-to-head. Look, LeBron not might not be the guy who <laughs> wants to guard Paul George, but I bet you Paul George wants to guard LeBron. Oh, he and will. I think, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, I just think they will take a couple of games for Cleveland to wake back up. Yeah, so, I, agree. I agree. The one thing I'd say, though, where I, I kind of felt like you at one point, and then I watched that Cleveland-Boston game, mm. where yeah, Cleveland just smacked up Boston, and it was yeah. just like, oh, you guys, oh, you think, it's like an older brother just going, yeah. oh, you, you're going to step, uh-uh, you're not stepping up. Uh, no, I'm still in charge. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I, 
they have it there. It's 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 it's. I'd be shocked if this. If you can't get up for a playoff game for game one or game two, like you, your problems run much deeper than your defense. Well, yeah. maybe they do. <laughs> I guess we'll <laughs> they see. Might, they might. Yeah. We'll find out. It's all part of Lou's secret plan. I agree with that. Both you guys somewhere between like five and six uh, games here and Cleveland wins. How, I don't think is, this goes. How are they going to win at five and a half? <laughs> really? I don't know. Tyler. They're going to forfeit. They're going to forfeit game six at halftime. Are they gonna, like, is the roof going to fall in or something? Like, how do they go maybe five the and a half? Con- maybe the air condition will break. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out. Uh, weird, stranger things have happened to LeBron since he's been to the finals for uh, the, great, the greater part of my entire life at this point. Um, let's see. Let's go to the next series. We're almost there, Mike. Don't worry. I promise you. Uh, we could skip the Wizards series. Nah, I guess we won't. We'll we'll wait. We can get through it. We um, can get through it pretty quick. I, I, yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we're not quite there yet. Let's go to the three-six matchup. That's Toronto versus Milwaukee. It's an interesting matchup, actually. Uh, the Raptors won the uh, season regular season series, three-one. Uh, the last time they played was, however, on March fourth. Some time has passed. Middleton was still getting used to playing with his teammates. This current iteration of the Bucks when that game happened, um, and so. Um, it's interesting because these are uh, two teams who have been through multiple pieces of the season, almost seasons within seasons. So figuring out who's going to win this series, I guess ultimately we'll be trying to figure out who these teams are right now heading into the playoffs. Um, let's start with Mo's question here, which is how do the Raptors defend? What's that guy's name, Mike? Pronounce his whole name for me again. Giannis. You really don't know? Giannis could. Yeah, I know what it is, man. Giannis. Giannis Kutumpo. Um, and it's going to be a right. great match there. Giannis. Giannis, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Come on, Antetokounmpo. Man. He's only been in the league for like five years. <laughs> but I just call him Giannis. It's so much easier to just do his first name. And so then when you get to this whole last name. It's Giannis. There's no Jumbo. G. It's not a hard G. I said Giannis the first time. No, you said you Giannis. No, the second time. Hey, we got recorded. You're mixing it up there. (laughs) There's a recording. All right, whatever. Giannis. Is that better? Yeah. Y, like Yanni? Yeah. Yeah. Giannis. Ayata Kadumpo. Okay, very Hmm? funny. Close enough. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) So what's the the question? How do the Raptors defend him? Yeah, what's the matchup on... Giannis, how do they defend a guy who, you know, basically plays all five positions uh, for the Bucs and is the, uh, you know, he is the point guard slash does everything for the Bucs. They go as he goes. So how do they defend him? Who do they throw at him, I guess? Because they have plenty of pieces now to try to match up with him. I mean, isn't this just why they got P.J. Tucker? I mean, isn't that kind of the perfect guy? Yeah, I think so. Is P.J. Tucker the mark? Is that the guy? Yeah, no. I mean, this is why you got P.J. Tucker for these guys. You know, for the Giannis's, the LeBron's, the Paul George's, you know, and, and everybody else in the East. But Giannis presents a whole different kind of challenges. I mean, P.J. Tucker's a strong 6'6", 245. I'm not sure if he's used to guarding a guy like Giannis who's just feels like he has arms that go forever. Um, you, you can probably get to the rim from half court in two steps with just how long his strides are. And things like that. I think that's where I find it challenging is I feel like a guy like PJ isn't exactly light on his feet, isn't very quick or agile. And I feel like Giannis kind of has that little shiftiness to him and, you know, could get Tucker into foul trouble, could kind of put him in a tough situation and in terms of what he's going to face defending him. And and if he gets into foul trouble, then who do they have behind him? Because I don't really feel like they have much behind him that can guard him. Well, they have they have Demar Carroll, who I know has had a rough season. They still have Norman Powell. He's a little small. I agree. Um, but the other thing too is that you don't you don't really guard Giannis with one guy, right? I mean, you guard him with yeah. your whole team. And right. I'm a little worried that he's going to have a rough series because Toronto can really pack it the paint. And well, I don't see if I, if the Bucks play the Wizards and their problems protecting the rim, especially now with Mahimi out, I would feel a lot better about the Bucks' chances to win that series. But I think it's going to be – he's going to find trouble getting to the basket against this Raptors team, you know, even if he can be his primary defender, you know. And there's also a lot of switchability with Toronto with the way they play now. You know, I, I don't think this is a good matchup for Giannis. Yeah, I, I was going to say that switching is important because it's not like the uh, Toronto doesn't have some guards who can play out there. And I think ultimately you want to keep him in front of you and make him – shoot that's the best way to defend Giannis make him a jump shooter right. um and it's you know Lowry is not going to back down from anybody on a switch I promise you he'll get further into his chest than even Tucker would um and and DeRozan is decidedly kind of taller and longer than people understand he's you know a six seven guy with 
long arms himself. So you're right. There's going to be switches there. Um, I guess my, my bigger question here too, is the, is an experience factor happening here right before our eyes too, which is Toronto has now been in the playoffs for Mike, how many consecutive seasons? So I believe their fourth year, fourth year in a row. Okay. Right. And there's an expectation that comes with that too, which is that you need to keep improving each year. There's a lot of importance on this series for Toronto. And that's what gives me a little pause. They're moving some pieces around. Like I said, they had some acquisitions in the middle of the year. They just got Lowry back They're They're slotting him back into their team, which, you know, he's the heart and soul. It shouldn't be that difficult. It kind of feels like a house money series for the Bucks in a lot of ways because after they lost Parker, they had to add Middleton back in who wasn't playing for the first half of the year. That's that's a lot to change, um, especially coming off the season uh, uh, last year where they, you know, the, the expectations were, again, shifted with the injury to Middleton in the middle of the season. So this is your opportunity here to kind of maybe make that step as to be the team who maybe Toronto was four years ago, which is knocking at the door in the playoffs, but really with nothing to prove other than, hey, we're here for the we're here for the games. We're here for the experience, whereas Toronto has to make it to the Eastern Conference finals. So this is a dud season again for them in my opinion. Um, so I mean, yeah, I but ge- they, I guess that's mm-hmm. true, but like, I mean, it's just progress, but this is the window situation. Like if your window happens to match up identically to Cleveland's, then what are you going to do about it? How is that going to, I'm just not sure how that reflects on the court. So uh, the other question mm-hmm, I have mm-hmm. with the series is like, this is a thing I've always been wondering. And I'm very curious about most perspective on this. Like Milwaukee is a very unique defensive team. They right. do not play like, defensively the way that is supposedly how you're supposed to play they just they're so different that the way they're they trap with uh their length they try to basically spook you right right is that a style that's better for the playoffs in the regular season or is that a style that's even worse for the playoffs in the regular season i think it's harder in the playoffs just because you, you know it's it's a slower game you know you you can kind of force some chaos and in, in transition and and really kind of get out there and get them going i think it's harder because again when you trap it's like you're springing it on somebody and i I swear this is just going to be a reoccurring theme in 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 this podcast so i apologize (laughs) for going to be repeating it over and over again but teams get to just sort of zero in on it so if toronto shows up and they're not ready for the trap like I don't know what they were working on the past few days. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's 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 a very like when you get to do it to Toronto one night, you know the Clippers the next night, and then Washington the night after that, or a few nights later. It's different, right? Each time these guys are like, "Whoa, these dudes are so freaking long!" Like, yeah, how am I supposed to deal with this? Whereas now, like as a video guy, you know, hopefully they're they they got this going in Toronto, but you know you have clips of just this is every time they trap the pick and roll like where can we take advantage of it what do we do and and i think it's harder in that sense so it's it's that's why it's harder in the playoffs to do stuff like that when you have kind of a gimmicky defense now to be fair the dallas mavericks won a championship with their zone which is pretty gimmicky <laughs> but you know they won a championship off of it because they were just that good at it so you can be a just so damn good at it that you know it doesn't matter what the other team's adjustments are you guys are going to adjust to it or b you got to be prepared to change it up as well you know and you know screw it just what if they did the first half and just didn't trap a single pick and roll you know or or try to force anything you know and and now you know what if they switched everything what if they just decided like you know what like we'll take our chances with Giannis guarding kyle lowry right and 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 guarding kyle lowry huh Yeah, that might be a problem. <laughs> yeah, but like, what if? But is it better than you know doing what they do? Because Toronto, their offense. I mean, I guess we'll see like how it works with Lowry reintegrated. But like, they create a lot of corner threes. They you know are really good. You know, it's not a great ball movement team, but they're a great space the floor team. Like, there aren't really hiding places when you play Toronto. I mean, it's sort of right. the same thing with Washington as well, which is why I was that was fascinated by that matchup. That's not going to happen, but. You know, they're, they're not really hiding places there. So, you know, if you're going to trap and leave a guy, like, who are you leaving? Yeah, that's that's the real question, you know, and, and I think that's what the the Bucks have to figure out. And that's what they're they're asking themselves right now. It's like, do we trap? Do we stick with our game plan of trapping something that we've done all year? Or, you know, do we go to switching? Do we go to a strong hedge or, you know, and, and going under or over the pick and all sorts of things like this is what you got to figure out. And th- these are the things 
they got to decide, you know, can we live with if we trap, we're going to give up probably X amount of points, you know, and and that's a big thing going from game one to game two. And that's why the playoffs is so fascinating. You know, it's, it's a game by game adjustment. Every team makes an adjustment after each game. Yep. I'm going to give you my prediction for this series, and then you guys can tell me what you think. And then we'll quickly do the Wizards and Hawks. Um, and, and I have one follow-up question here, too, that'll segue us into those. Uh, so I'll wait for that. I think that uh, this is going to be a hard-fought seven-game series win for the Raptors. But seven games. Okay. Well, what do you think? Well, yeah, I'm not sure if it's going to be a seven-game series because I think you guys touched on it. It was The experience is, is really a big thing. And it's not that the Bucks don't have experienced players. I mean – we just talked about Delhi in the last series and how much Cleveland misses him. Well, he's on the Bucks. Yeah, yeah. Jason Terry won a championship on a gimmick defense in Dallas. So there's, you know, there, there are guys there who've been there and have gone through it, but your main guys haven't. Right. You know, Giannis hasn't really been through the fire. I think one playoff series. Yeah, he didn't he, play very well in it either. I mean, that was yeah, two years ago. It was a very different Giannis, yeah, but he didn't play like very 19. well in that series. You know, Middleton, you know, again, not that much experience. Obviously, Thon Maker, who starts and probably won't play a ton of minutes, but if he's starting, he's another guy that's not experienced. I think, you know, Ben, you said it right earlier. They're, they're just playing with the house's money, and, and it's great they made the playoffs. This is a chance to kind of really explode for them. I think another thing for Toronto, and I'll, I'll make my prediction real quick, but Kyle Lowry hasn't played with these guys that much. And there's an adjustment. That's the point that Ben's been making for a couple podcasts. That's significant. Yeah. It's a huge one in the sense of, and I actually, uh, going to toot my own horn. I wrote about it in one of my, my posts, you know, that it takes a while to learn where PJ Tucker wants the ball when he's coming off, you know, up and down or coming off of a pick and roll with Ibaka when you're going to go off and getting that timing, right. And when are you throwing the pass and how are you throwing the pass? And, how does you know how good of a catcher is Ibaka? Can I throw it outside his radius and he'll just catch it, or you know if I throw it too low, he's going to drop it? All of that plays a role into it, and that's why that the injury was such a big deal because of that. And I don't think, besides you know Ben pushing it, I don't think it gets played that much in terms of the chemistry with those guys, and that's a huge one for me. So I still think I still think Toronto rolls. I think it'll be a close close games. But I don't think it'll be a close series. I, st- I think this one's going to be a five-gamer as well. Oh, man, I was going to say five games and feel like it was a strong take. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it's a bad matchup for Milwaukee. Um, but I will say you have convinced me to add an extra game to this because of the familiarity factor with Lowry. Like Also because Toronto always seems to drop a game at home at the beginning because of right. what Ben talked about, the nerves. You know, So there is – you're right. They, those do play in. Maybe I was too – uh, lame to dismiss it. The other thing about Milwaukee is that they're just, it's an, a weird, unpredictable team. Like they could have a game where Michael Beasley wins, comes in and does a big, something big. Mirrors the yeah. yeah. Or, you know, or, or Delhi or Jason Terry or, you know, they, they don't really have like a very set rotation, which I think it makes them a little tough to prepare for. You know, you yeah. don't really know who they're going to play. So I'm going to say six, but I, I kind of agree that, you know, Milwaukee would have had a better chance against Washington, I think, yeah. for sure. You know, well, that's not you, a good matchup yeah. for them. No, I, I, have, I go ahead. Man. I have Milwaukee pegged as a team that could pull off an upset, and then I saw the matchup and was like, "Damn it!" Yeah, yeah. I, Boston too. Like they could have totally beaten Boston. Yeah. Well, here, here's two takes for you, real quick, because we've talked about this in the past, Mike. Um, part of the pressure that's been on Toronto has been that the Canadian hockey teams have not been good since they've been basically in the playoffs over the last four years. There's been a smattering of Vancouver having made it. That's the Pacific Northwest that barely counts. This year, there are a couple Canadian teams back in the Stanley Cup playoffs, which will actually, in my opinion, help take some of the pressure off of the Toronto Raptors. I know that's a big, full—I'll use the word—holistic look at the. Yes, yeah, there it is. Every once a podcast, I'm waiting a little while it. for that to go to get in. I know, I know, I know, I know. Anybody I mean, that had it on their bingo cards, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you had the over under at 46 minutes, uh, then <laughs> bing, 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 bing. Um, but uh, the point though is like that, so that matters maybe a little bit. The second thing I that neither none of us mentioned is that wasn't Jason Kidd the coach of the Nets when they beat the Raptors in the first round? He was a couple That's years very, ago. It's a very good point. So, you know, yeah. there is something to be said for the experience overall with with Milwaukee and and that experience actually relating to 
same coach and a lot of the same principal players on this uh, Raptors team. So we'll, we'll see how this plays out. Um, the last That's series. That's um, interesting. Yeah. Also, Jason, again, it's just like his unpredictability is like a bad thing in the regular season, but I think it's sort yeah. of a weird wild card in a positive way in a playoff yeah. series. Like you just and you don't really know what to expect from totally. him or that team or that style. And let's connect one more dot. He was the point guard for that Mavericks team that Mo was just referencing. Yeah, that's so, right. That's um, right. You know, there's a lot going on here. Uh, it's funny that Jason Kidd and, and uh, Jason Terry are, are together just in a different type of uh, relationship now, um, which is, I guess, is sort of like an assistant coach, head coach type thing, actually. But um, last series, uh, the Wizards and the Hawks. Uh, Mike, I'll let you answer this first uh, Mo question, and then let's try to keep this one brief because we've still got to do that whole Western yeah. Conference. Maybe we'll um, split into a second part, yeah, two parts if we or have something. To. Let's do All that. Right. So, Mike, every year we talk about this same principle, and I know in the past you've said this actually helps the Wizards come playoff time, but is Washington's lack of depth going to wear them down this year? Uh, well, it's sort of interesting. I, I mean, they, they're going to miss – it's too bad that Yamahimi got hurt. I think that was – got hurt in a meaningless game, and that's yeah. obviously very Wizards that he goes down in a meaningless game at the worst possible time. Um, but I – it's funny. They're down the stretch of the season – their starting lineup has not played that great, but their bench has actually been better. I think Mahimi is a big part of that, but the emergence of Kelly Oubre, I think, has been really important. You know, so it's sort of been like a little bit of a reverse thing, but I agree that it's like a potential problem when you think of like every minute that Brandon Jennings is on the court, I'm going to be nervous because, <laughs> you know, I'm just going to be worried. He's better than Trey Burke, but I'm just going to be worried about those like seven eight minutes a game where he's out there when john wall or brad beal isn't you know and maybe those minutes go away uh you know we'll see if canubre can keep this up like when team our team's going to worry about his or his inability to shoot at this point you know how does that play out you know will teams light up Bojan bogdanovich you know it's a little bit of a concern can jason smith still hit threes you know we'll see but i don't think it's going to be a huge problem as big a problem as people think. I think the bigger thing I worry about, and the reason why I think they dodged a big bullet, is that their defense, both at on the wing and inside when Mahimi's not in the game, is a real problem. And I think if they had to deal with Giannis, I think that would have been a real concern. But the Hawks just can't score enough, even with Millsap out there. I think they got very lucky, very fortunate to face the Hawks in the first round. What do you think, yeah. I no, I mean that's that's my biggest concern is just you know with with Jan going out, <clears throat> excuse me. I mean that does it shortens your rotation I, in the playoffs. You already sh- most coaches generally shorten their rotations to begin with, so you, you're going to try to get your guys your best players more minutes. So hopefully that does cut down on Brandon Jennings' minutes because he's been just a net negative ever since he's been on been on that team, you know. No, and, and he's, he's not Trey Burke, which is the important thing. But, yes, he, he's been, not he has not better. been very good. <laughs> but not that much better than, than, than Trey Burke. He's left-handed. <laughs> that's, that's it. Yeah. No. And it hurts me as a fellow lefty <laughs> <laughs> in that regard. But, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's definitely an issue. I think it's 100% correct, and they really dodged a bullet with the matchup because I think Atlanta does – Although they'll pose some problems, I don't think they're really going to be able to really keep up offensively with John Wall, Bradley Beal. You know, Bogdanovich has been awesome for them. Oh, you offensively know. he has, yeah. Offensively, yeah. yeah. That's all we talk about, right? That's we, we, you know, yeah. Defense is eh. Yeah. <laughs> no, but he has been. You're right. You, you know, and, and again, keeping that four spread. You know, the one, the one thing I look at when I look at this matchup is I've never been a huge Scott Brooks Brooks fan, but he's done a great job this year. Like he's really kind of coached this team up and I'm curious to see how he goes in the playoffs against a veteran like Mike Budenholzer, who, you know, obviously has, has had a interesting season to say the least with Atlanta this year. And, you know, it's, it's, they are Spurs East, you know, they, they run their stuff and he's a great tactician, great game planner. So I'm curious, I'm really excited to see what, what Bud does have up his sleeve for these guys, you know, and, and how he defends these guys. Cause I think that's really what it's going to come down to. And, and if he can wear down wall and Beal and, and they got to steal a game or two to kind of keep that going. You know, if he can, it's almost like boxing. If you can get this into the later rounds of the series, 
You know, no, that's, the, the, that's true. The five, six, seven games, those legs get a little t- more tired, and 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 it just you struggle a little bit more. And without Jan, it's 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 going to be an issue for him. Kelly Oubre's been a great, awesome, awesome pickup for them. You know, and 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 has done a good job. You know, <clears throat> coming off the bench. You know, Otto Porter. It's, it's you know, this is it's not his first playoffs, but it's his first playoffs where he's kind of the man. Yeah, so yeah, he's, he's no got, longer like the surprise like he was in the Toronto series a couple of years back. Right, so now he's got to kind of deliver, and, and how does he deal with that pressure? So it's going to be really interesting to see how this stuff all shakes out, you know, and, 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 and how it works. So to me, it's really kind of, you know, the Wizards versus the evil genius in uh, Mike Budenholzer, and he's only evil because... Prayed as a, a, a Wizards fan. Oh, thank you. So what? But here's my question: Like, so what? What is? What are they going to do, the Hawks, to slow them down? And then I'm curious: Like, what would be the counter adjustment? Because, you know, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I just I don't think the Hawks can score enough, and I think we both agree that that'll prevent them from winning the series. But in order to make this a long series, like, what do you do to kind of slow those two guards down? I mean, they do have some interesting defensive players on that team. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Hawks. To, to really slow those guys down, it's 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 what you do on offense. Well, that's going to be a problem then. <laughs> well, no, but I think you know, I think you might see more Paul Millsap post ups. I think you might, you know, I don't know if we're going to see a Dwight Howard post up or not. But I mean, this has been the quietest Dwight Howard year. Yeah, you know, oh, and that might be a good thing. But I think yeah, you just got to you got to slow down. You got to run. You, if you can't score a lot, right? The idea is let me use the full shot clock. And, and run through your motion and get your sets going and, and keep your guys moving. So it's going to be an interesting thing. I'm not sure if they can do it, but that's, I think, what they kind of have to be. The game plan is to try to slow it down and, and, and keep it so that John Wall's not busting them up in transition. And, I mean, he's quick, dude. Oh, yeah. Like, I, sometimes I think the camera can't catch him. You know, so mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things. Like, he just if he gets it and goes and, and can keep going and can keep attra- attacking guys like Schroeder, that's going to be a problem. It's going to be a short series for the Hawks, but it's going to feel like really long games for them. How are the Hawks to transition defense and offensive rebounding? I mean, that's sort of the key there is that they've got to, they'd have to really be able to. Now they are one of the best, according to Synergy, one of the best transition defensive teams in the league. So that may have, there may be something there uh, to make this inconvenient. I just, I just think that the problem there here is that the, when the Wizards get a defensive rebound, they are incredibly efficient on the other end because right. not only can they grab and go, but also their secondary break is terrific. They just have too many guys to cover. And if the Hawks are bricking too many shots, I mean, they're just going to get caught in those situations too often. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's really why it's a tough series for the Hawks. Yeah. Yeah. Their, their weaknesses lead to Washington's strengths. That's- yeah. That's usually not good for the team trying to pull an upset. Uh, let's see. Let's get Mike on the record. Mike, how's this uh, series play out? I think this might be a little overconfidence, but I really think this <laughs> goes five games tops. Like, I really think this shouldn't be that hard. I, I think the one way it gets hard is that, again, if the Wizards sort of don't quite wake out of their slumber a little bit, you know, like they're starting off this place so many minutes. Like, you wonder if they've just run out of gas. But mm. I don't think that's the problem. I think they just they've, they've just sort of – had a rough travel schedule and now they won't. And that I think will turn itself around a little bit. If they can avoid getting kind of a bad performance in their first two games at home, like I just think this will be over pretty quick. Like I just don't think the Hawks have nearly enough firepower. And I don't think Paul Millsap's going to have that good of a series against Markeith mm-hmm. Morris. What do you think, Mo? I, I'm with him on this one. I think it's a five game series. You know, I, I just don't see how the, the Hawks can pull it off. I mean, they've been playing well down the stretch, you know, beating Cleveland twice and, you know, really kind of making it interesting, beating up. I think they beat Boston also during that stretch, but I just I just don't see it for them. I just think it's a difficult series, a tough matchup. You know, as as Ben said, it's, it's you know, their weaknesses line up perfectly with Washington's strengths. So it, in, in, in that situation, you are kind of just overmatched. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you guys. Also, because usually I'm the 
the optimistic Wizards fan on this podcast. Not this year, uh, man. Not this not year. This year. <laughs> <laughs> no, this year, Mike is back on his own team's bandwagon, and yeah, I appreciate I, that. I really think this. I mean, like, I'm just gonna say, like, I really think they have a legit chance, you know, to get to the conference finals. Like, the bracket broke perfectly for them, and like, I really, yeah, yeah. I believe in this team. Like, I know they haven't played well at the end of the year, but I, I really think that they will play better in the playoffs. And Are they? No, I tend to agree. That's why what I was gonna say is like part of the psychology of of the Wizards last month or so was that they were kind of watching the teams ahead of them and seeing like, is it, a, is it the smartest thing to be the two or three? Is it, you know, once that number one seed became out of the question, which there was a time when they were flirting with that, you know, a month ago. Um, once that got out of the question, then it was like, wow, is Cleveland going to like position I mean, I'm just, just ahead of them? Just like, look at their we... schedule in March. I mean, that's really yeah. what the bottom line is. They had, sure, sure. I mean, they, they had an easy, easy, they probably not, they're definitely not as good as they were in January. Right, because they had a lot of home games. But if you look at their March schedule, I mean, they had two long West Coast trips. I mean, anyone's going to get tired. And it, what's the problem with their defense? Well, they're kind of being a little lazy. Yeah. You know, yeah. What, why do you think that happened? Well, maybe it's because they were on the West Coast so much. Like, sure. I've never seen a team that's had like those two long trips back to back like they did. I just, I just don't think that you can really take a lot out of that. No, I yeah, mean, it's, it's fine. It's weird, but let me ask you: if it's if we get the Boston Washington matchup, are they going to wear black all uh, <laughs> playoff game? Is that going to be a? Is that coming down? I think that was a one time so. thing, but um, you know what's, <laughs> no like way, the, man. what's like the next level up from that though? Like, do you think that they should just have like black armbands that they wear on the court every tape. game? Like, put the tape, think, you know, you know. I think they need to all arrive in their each in their own hurts. <laughs> I think each of them needs to have, and it could have a different Boston Celtic player name on the, oh, <laughs> on it oh, as man. they go through. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very curious what they would have in store for Marcus Smart, especially because they <laughs> do not like that dude. No one likes. I hate Marcus Smart. Thanks for bringing that up, Mike. Um, okay, cool. <laughs> that is the Eastern the Eastern Conference uh, first round playoff preview. On the flip side of this. Maybe it'll be a second podcast. Let's Maybe it'll be on the flip podcast. side of this Let's one. It'll be podcast. a second one. Look for the second one. That's going to be our Western Conference. We'll call them uh, Moe's Pressing Questions for Prada, and, and then I, I chime in. So uh, be, on the, uh, be on the lookout for that, that second podcast here with uh, Moe Dacchio, Mike Prada. I'm Ben Epstein, and we're going over the Eastern Conference and Western Conference first round playoffs on the Limited Upside. <laughs>